Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, today we are continuing our series in the book of Romans. And uh, if you missed any part of the series, I would encourage you to get caught up. In week one, a couple weeks ago, we kind of laid the groundwork and kind of laid out Um, the foundation for what we would be looking at over the next few weeks. Um, And then last weekend, Pastor Kyle Hammond was with us from Adventure Church in Columbus, Ohio, and did such a wonderful job unpacking uh, part of chapter six for us. And this week, we're gonna jump back to chapter four. So we did chapters one, two, and three, kind of did an overview in week one. We're coming back to chapter four this week. Um, I'm not going to go back through the... The, the groundwork that we covered in week one, but, but basically the book of Romans was written as a letter from Paul to the church in Rome, to the Christian church in Rome. And the Christian church was made up of Jewish believers, Jews who had converted to Christianity, but they still observed their traditions uh, and their ways of worship. And then Gentile believers who were not Jewish um, and what Paul was trying to do is bring unity to this divided church. Um, And it was hard because you had people that were divided by ethnicity, you had people that were divided by worship styles and preferences, and it was a big deal. And Paul saw the kingdom potential that was resident in the Roman church, and he was trying to bring health and wholeness to it so that it could fulfill its purpose, so it could be what God wanted it to be. And so he he writes a letter to them, and we see this major theme that you'll hear again today, and you're going to hear over the next few weeks, that God judges sin, but manifests mercy through Jesus. So he judges sin, but he loves us so much that mercy flows through Christ to us, that we can receive mercy because of the work of Christ on the cross. Um. One of the the words you're gonna hear over and over the next few weeks is the righteousness of God, God's righteousness. And and I want you to be reminded of what we're talking about when we talk about the righteousness of God. It basically just means that God always does what is right and he is faithful to do what he promised. He always does what is right or good and he will always keep his promise. He's faithful to keep his promises. Um, And again, sometimes we... We say, God, are you really good because bad things happen to me? But we have to anchor ourselves in this, in this thought that God is always good. He has no option but to be good. He is good because he is righteous and he is holy. So because of that, he is good. If God is wrong or I am wrong, if that's my options, I'm wrong. <laughs> God is never wrong. He is always right. And so that's where we have to adjust to God. Um, Week one, we talked about, or chapter one, we talked about how sin dominates all of us. We're all sinners. We all need a savior. In chapter two of Romans, we talk about the idea that being good is not enough. Being um, lawful, being um, observant of the law, being moral, none of that will save us. None of that can save us. So just because there were Jewish people that were religious, their religion couldn't save them is what Paul was getting at. And then chapter three, we talk about the idea that that God wants to rescue us. He loves us. He loves you. And he wants to rescue us. And that's why he sent Christ. And then in chapter four, he starts talking about Abraham. And so let me jump in. Romans chapter four, I'll start in verse one today. And it says this, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? 
If his, good, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. I want all of you here in the room and all of you in Blairsville, I want you to say that with me. Abraham believed God. We're gonna say it again. Abraham believed God. He believed God. This doesn't sound like a big idea, but this is monumental. This is everything. Abraham believed God. When God said something, Abraham believed him. Not only did he believe what God said, he believed in who God was. And this was his anchor. So, so I want you to tuck that away as we're walking through this passage today. Abraham believed God. We get to verse four, and it, Paul says this, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who, have declared, who are declared righteous without working for it. And then he quotes Psalm chapter 32, verses one and two. And he says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. I don't know about you, there have been some times in my youth where I escaped punishment I deserved. I know you're probably thinking, Mel, you did something wrong in your life. And I did, once. That was it. There were so many times that I did something stupid and I deserved punishment, but I received grace. Do you remember how good that felt? Do you remember the times that you didn't study for the test and you bombed the test and then you found out they were grading on a curve and you ended up with a C on the test and you're like, oh, hallelujah. God, you are real and you are good, right? Maybe you got pulled over, you're going too fast and the, the police officer gave you grace and gave you a warning instead of a ticket and you, and you drove away slowly and as soon as they were out of sight, you, you were so happy you sped again. Like. But you were happy because you escaped punishment, right? Man, I deserved that, I was caught dead and I escaped. And David says, this is how we feel when we escape the punishment we deserve for sin when we are absolved, when we receive grace, when we're disobedient and we're forgiven. At least this is how we should feel. We should celebrate. But I think for Christians, sometimes we forget about what we've been forgiven of. We forget how much of a sinner we were. And we come to church and we're like, yeah, we're good. Oh, this is really good. So I'll worship really well today. I got it raised, right? I'm not going here because it's not that good. It's this good today. That's how much I'm gonna worship because we forget. And if we would remember what we've been forgiven of, like he says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. We should worship because we've been forgiven so much. He goes on to say in verse nine, now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Now, we're gonna talk a little bit about today about circumcision, uncircumcision. You're gonna hear this word. And if you've got a child in the room, you might have to explain it to them later, sorry. We got kids' church. They're not gonna talk about it back there, I promise. 
ahead. No, not even gonna say anything else. Just back up, back up, back away, back away, all right. So um, here's the thing. <clears throat> Circumcision in the Jewish culture was important because it was a physical sign of covenant between uh, Israel and God. It was a physical sign. It was a physical mark to say, I'm in covenant with God. And this is important um, because Jewish people took great pride in the fact that they were God's chosen people. And this is part of why there was division in the church because there was, there was a little bit of a feeling that maybe the Jewish people belonged there because they were the chosen people. And the Gentile believers, they were welcome, but they were less welcome than the Jewish believers. It's kind of like if uh, this last week, there's a family in our church that adopted some kids. And if, if you were a natural born child and you looked at a, at a child that had been adopted into the family as less a part of the family, well, you'll, yeah, you're adopted in, but I was born here, right? That's not right, but you could see people might have that position. And this is how a lot of Jewish people approach this. Like, okay, you're welcome, but we were born here. We, we're more family than you are. And Paul speaks directly to their, their Jewishness, their, their pride in being God's chosen people. And he says this, well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith, but how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Now let me help you with a part that might be confusing. You might be thinking, how was Abraham acceptable to God before he was circumcised? Because most babies are circumcised in the hospital, like as infants, right? Newborns is when they're circumcised. That wasn't the case for Abraham. The covenant he made with God is after he was, he was older. He was a grown man. He would remember this, okay? <laughs> to, be, to be a little crude about it. I mean, this was not in the hospital room, okay? So it says he was righteous before God saw him and he was acceptable before he was circumcised. The circumcision was a response to his position with God, his, his posture toward God, his pursuit of God, if I can say it that way. So the circumcision happened because God entered in covenant with him and he said, we are going to be in covenant because your faithfulness, because of your heart for me. But what happens is it's easy for people to go, no, 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 I'm circumcised so I'm good. I do all the Jewish rituals, so I'm good. And, and they flipped it to where they think, if I just behave appropriately, then God will love me more. If I just do this, then I'll be acceptable to God. And what Paul's trying to drive home is the idea that that is not the case. The Jewish tradition won't save us. He says, clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. He was accepted before because they were in relationship he was loved before he performed. But for a lot of Jewish people, they get that backwards. It's not just Jewish people. Um, let me read on and we'll get back into this. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They're counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. He's talking about Jewish people, but only if they have the same kind of faith as Abraham had before he was circumcised. Whew. Man, there's a lot of ground to cover here. 
Uh, first thing is this. He says, he says circumcision basically was evidence of Abraham's faith. Um, I mentioned that, that people steeped in religious and in Jewish culture uh, sometimes think that the ritual will save them. Like, this is what I need to do to be acceptable to God. I need to be circumcised. I need to uh, obey the dietary restrictions. I need to obey the Sabbath. I need, here's the things I have to do. And if I do this, then God will be okay with me. But it's not just Jewish people. Catholics. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> careful, careful, careful. Catholics do the same thing. Hey, I, I've got to do confession and I've got to do, I've got to, here's the steps and here's the things I have to do. And this ritual will make me acceptable to God. Protestants do the same thing. Well, I've got to go to church because if I go to church enough, then God will love me. If I, if I give, then God will love me. If I do this stuff, if I perform these duties, these rituals, these, if I perform, then God will love me. And Paul is speaking to them saying, that is not the case. Before, before Abraham performed, he was accepted by God. It was about his heart and his relationship with God. It wasn't about his ritual. It wasn't about what he did. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul talks to the church at Ephesus and he says this in verse eight. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Listen to what he says in verse nine. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. We drift into this mindset that we earn salvation because of what we do. Our church attendance, our small group attendance, going to growth track, I'll do all the things and then God will love me. No, that is not the way this works. God loved you before you ever came to this church. Did you know that? You're accepted by God when you surrender your life to him. We're not accepted by God because we do all the things and jump through the hoops. So Paul says to the church at Ephesus, it's not a reward. Salvation, heaven is not a reward for the good things we've done so that we can't boast. Now listen to what he says in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. So here's what, here's what the, the timeline is. God says, we think I've gotta do good things for God to love me. And God says, no, I love you. And when you recognize my love for you and you come into relationship with me, then you will do good things. The good things are a result of our relationship with Jesus. It doesn't make us acceptable to Jesus. We don't earn our salvation by how hard we work. We don't earn our salvation by how many times we attend church. Now, I want you to attend church. I'm not giving you a pass, I'm just saying. Those aren't the things that make us acceptable to God. We're acceptable to God when we surrender our lives to him. When we say, I need a savior. I need you, Jesus, and confess him as Lord. Next thing we see is this, he says, Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. Ooh, this is big. This is big. The Jewish people, they took great pride in the fact that Abraham was their forefather. 
They were sons and daughters of Abraham. Um, and by Paul saying, these Gentiles who have a different ethnicity than you and different spiritual background than you, they are also sons and daughters. This would have been offensive for Jewish believers, for most of Jewish believers. They would have been upset by this. Uh, sometimes, I don't know if you recognize this, sometimes I antagonize people. And I do it in the best natured way. I never wanna hurt somebody's feelings or be mean, but um, I, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a bully. I antagonize kids sometimes. <laughs> Not very often, strangers at the grocery store, I'll just start picking up, no, I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But like in the East Lobby, so after service or before church, I'll be in the East Lobby and a kid will come through. And there's been a couple times that I've done this where a child will come out of the kid's wing and maybe they'll be walking with their mom and they see their dad and they're like, dad, or they'll see their mom and be like, mommy, and they'll run to their mom and I'll stop them and go, this is my mom. And the look of confusion on this three-year-old's face, like, wait, what? What have you not been telling me, mom? Like, what is going on here? I feel betrayed, right? I'm like, no, this is my mom. And you probably know what the child's response is. The child immediately goes, my mama. No, no, it's my mama. Or, or I'll go, no, it's my nana. No, it's my nana. And these kids, little, beautiful, doe-eyed children will become violent. <laughs> my nana. And it's like, your nana, it's your nana. Okay, fine. <laughs> I will cut you. I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> they get defensive. Because they go, no, 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 I know whose Nana that is, and that is not your Nana, it's my Nana. That is my mom. And when Paul said, Abraham is the father of the Gentiles too, the Jews immediately went, he's our, he's our father, right? And it's not just the territorial part, it's because of what was promised. We'll get into that in a second. And then he goes on to say, he's not done, he says that, He's the spiritual father of the Jewish people as well, but not just because they're circumcised. They have to have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's saying just because you do the stuff you do does not make you acceptable to God. You have to have faith. Remember, we talked about this. Abraham believed God. That was his faith. He says you have to believe God. You have to be in, walk, in a walk with him, in relationship with him, intimate with him. It's not enough just to be Jewish, just to be Catholic, just to be Christian, just to be part of Summit. That's not enough. You have to be in an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. When these letters were written, typically they were dispatched. So a, a, an associate of Paul's would usually deliver the letters and they would gather the people together and read them publicly. And so... They would just sit and read the book of Romans basically together and they would hear this for the first time. And if you're a Jewish believer and you're in the room and you're hearing this, it is stoking some things up in you that you're probably not thrilled about. You're probably a little unhappy. He goes on to say this. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to the law but on our right relationship with God that comes by faith, that comes by believing God. But did you hear what he said? God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. That's the part that, again, would cause some irritation for Jewish believers that are going, wait a second, he is our father and you're taking our inheritance? And Paul's speaking directly to that, saying, no, 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 there's something bigger that unites us. 
There's something bigger that brings us together. Because see, it wasn't just churches in the first century that struggled with unity. Churches today struggle with unity over worship style and what we want. We didn't sing the right song. We sang too many fast songs. And it's too loud, it's too quiet. Whatever it is, we, we struggle with that stuff. And if we will lay that stuff down and say, hey, what unites us, what brings us together? And Paul says, what brings us together is the blood of Christ. What brings us together is that we believe together. There's gonna be unity. And this is what he says. We have to have faith like Abraham's. He says in verse, let me see, 14. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then the law, uh, then the faith is not necessary. And the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. And then parenthetically, he says, the only way to avoid breaking law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift and we're all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. He says, this is what unites us and brings us together. If we all have faith like Abraham's, a faith that says, I believe God, I trust him. I wanna back up a little bit. Did you notice what he said? The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. And some of you right now are like, yeah, this is my kind of church, right? I've been waiting for a church like this with no law to break, perfect. And there are churches like that out there. We are not one of those churches. See, there are churches that say, hey, the Old Testament is fine. It's really not that important for us because we're not under the law, we're under grace. And that is partially true. We are under grace. We're under new covenant. But what it really means is we're not slaves to the law, okay? There is freedom in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean the law is pointless or without value. It still has value. In fact, what we see, we've talked about this in the past, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. So there's two words that Paul uses um, it's the same word, it's Torah for the law, and that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and then the laws, which were uh, 613 laws for Jewish believe, or for Jews. Um, of those 613, there were some that were ritual worship laws. Um, these were the things that, hey, you don't braid your hair certain ways, uh, you don't dress certain ways, you don't do these kind of things. And they were based on the principles that help people um, get pointed toward God in, in places of worship. Uh, and those are the things that we don't need to observe. Uh, dietary restrictions, some of those kind of things. Um, aren't you grateful we can eat pork? Because come on, bacon, somebody, hallelujah. <laughs> Pork chops taste good. Bacon tastes good. So we don't have to observe that. But then there's moral law that is, it's who God is. It's part of his character. That that carries us through. So we're not saying that the law is gone. Thou shalt not kill. It's still pretty valuable today. I, I think that's a good one, right? Like there's moral law that is still part of who we are today. So he's not saying we get rid of the law. In fact, if you go back to a couple weeks ago, we said this, Romans 3.31, Paul said, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we fulfill, truly fulfill the law. So yes, we have grace, but we're not slaves to the law. Um, years ago, um, 
I used to drive fast all the time everywhere. It was like a personal, I had like numbers in my head. Like I knew how long it took me to get certain places and I wanted to beat my personal land speed record wherever I was going, whatever I was doing. I know there's some other guys like that around. Is there anybody else? All the guys are like, no, no. I, maybe I should ask. Ladies, do any of you married to a guy that does that? Okay, there's a few of you. Um, but I would do that, and this is what would happen. When I was doing that, I was always nervous. I was always looking for police officers. I had my eyes peeled. I was looking for them, like, oh, maybe at this exit? No, there's not. Mm, I'd keep going. Because I got time to beat, right? Um, and the consequence for that is I was always looking for the police. I always had a little bit of anxiety in me while I was driving. But when I stopped worrying about the law and simply did what I was supposed to do, it's amazing how much peace I had when I hadn't, didn't have to look for police at every exit and every little turnout and nook and cranny. I could just drive, not worried about that. And this is the same in our walk with Christ. If we are asking questions about how close can I get to sin without losing my faith, then we're in trouble. That is a bad place to be. You might still be a Christian, but you're gonna have lots of anxiety. You're gonna have lots of issues. But if you just simply say, you know what, the law is here to protect me and I'm gonna pursue Christ, you're gonna get so close to Christ that the law, the line between the law and righteousness, sin and righteousness is gonna be so far behind you in your rearview mirror, you're not gonna have to worry about it. You're not gonna have to worry about, am I sinning or not sinning? Because you're just pursuing Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. The law is important, it has value, but you shouldn't be worried about the law, you should be worrying about being close to Jesus, being in proximity to him. Because when you do, you don't have to worry about the law. Let me go on. Verse 16, second part, it says, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's saying all of us, Jews, Gentiles, all of us, we're all sons and daughters of Abraham because of his belief in who God was. That is what, it, what scripture means when it says, I've made you the father of many nations. God said this to Abraham. And listen to what it says. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham believed God, but he believed God was the kind of God who could bring dead things back to life and create new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. So if you don't know the story of Abraham, that's okay. There's no condemnation. I'm not talking about Lincoln. I'm talking about uh, the father of the Jewish faith, uh, patriarch of the Christian faith as well. Um, so Abraham was a man, uh, he uh, traveled with his father to this area called Haran, and one day God spoke to him. And this is Genesis 12, I believe. In Genesis 12, God speaks to him and says, go to a land I will show you. And God doesn't say, here's the roadmap, I'm gonna lay it all out. He just says, obey me, follow me. And Abraham says yes. And Abraham leaves, he takes his family, they go. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they couldn't have kids. This, Abraham was 75 when he left Haran and, and traveled to what would become the promised land. He, he was 75, they didn't have kids, and God gives him a promise and says, hey, if you will be in covenant with me, I'll be in covenant with you, here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna make your, your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And I'm sure Abraham was like, 
bro, I'm 80 years old. <laughs> like, time is running out. Tick tock, tick tock, right? Like, God, I don't know if you know what you're saying here. But it said he believed God. He believed God when he didn't, shouldn't have believed God. When there was no reason for hope, he kept hoping. He kept believing. He kept trusting. He didn't have kids. He and his wife didn't have kids until he was 100 years old. He was 100. It took 25 years from the promise to the delivery. And through that time, he believed God. He trusted God. Some of you are dealing with things that you've been waiting a while for God to deliver. You've started to give up. You haven't been waiting 25 years. Maybe you have. But you've been waiting and you've, you've started to give up. Abraham waited and he trusted God. He believed God. Now, if you read the, the full story, you see that there were some twists and turns. At one point, he tried to take, take matters into his own hands and help God along. Nobody here has ever done that before, right? We never try to help God with his promises. We just let him do whatever he wants to do, right? It didn't work out. If you wanna hear more about Abraham, I did a, a whole message on him uh, back in September of 2019, September 22nd, 2019, a series called Family Game Night. You can go back and check that out if you like in our archives. We don't have time to get into the whole story today. But the word here that's used for believe, that Abraham believed, is the word in the Greek, pistuo. And pistuo means what you would think it means, to think to be true, to be persuaded of. You believe something. But this isn't the definition that fits in this context. The one that fits in this context is number two, to entrust a thing to one to entrust a thing to somebody, to trust their fidelity. Can they be trusted? And this is what Abraham very literally did. Very literally, Abraham entrusted God with his future. Abraham said, God, you've promised me that I'm gonna be the, the father of many nations. So God, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I'm gonna entrust you with it. I'm gonna take it out of my hands and I'm putting it into your hands. God, I can't do this, so I'm gonna trust you with it. I'm giving it to you. This is something I love and value and care about, so I'm gonna believe that you're gonna love and value and care about this in the same way. So God, here it is. I believe God. I trust God. This is what God wants for us, is to, to know him so well and so intimately that we can entrust him with the things that we love the most. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you've got a child that's been far from God for a long time. Maybe you've got a child that's estranged from you, won't even speak to you, and you started to give up. Does anybody remember uh, the, the movie Castaway? Do you, you do? I love this movie. Very little dialogue in the whole movie. It's just Tom Hanks losing weight on this island the whole movie, right? <laughs> He's looking scraggly. There's a scene in the movie when he sees a ship on the horizon. He's on this desert island. He sees this ship on the horizon and he goes crazy. He builds a fire. He starts doing stuff, waving. He's trying to get their attention. And as the ship descends and goes off into the distance and, and disappears on the horizon, you can see Tom Hanks. You can see his hope disappear as well. His hope vanishes as the lights from the ship get smaller and smaller and eventually disappear. 
And some of you feel that way. You feel like your chances have gone. You feel like your hope is gone. You feel like your prospects for a better future have disappeared and it has vanished, it's melted away and now you're just hopeless. Abraham believed. Did you believe? Did you just begin to trust God? Listen to what it says in verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He brought glory to God in his faith, in his waiting period. His faith in God brought glory to God. Listen to what it says in verse 21. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. He was fully convinced. Fully convinced. He wasn't 2% convinced. He, he wasn't believing in a way that it was like, well, I believe, and in the back of your mind, we go, but it's not gonna happen. Oh no, I believe God can save my marriage. And inside we're going, it's not, it's not gonna be saved. We may not divorce, but it'll never be good. That's what we think. But we go, oh yeah, God can save it. It'll be good. See, we don't fully believe. What would happen if we fully believed that God is able to do whatever he promises? Verse 22, because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too. Assuming, I mean, I'm sorry, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Again, what does he do? He brings it back to Jesus. Here's our unifier. Here's our unifier. It's Jesus is what unifies us and brings us together. Then I've got a confession to make. We get into chapter five. I just wanna read a couple verses from chapter five. And, and all the years I've been a believer and all the years I've been a pastor, I've never put chapter five and chapter four together in my mind. I just never have. But I wanna read the first few verses of chapter five to you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and I switched to the English Standard Version for this part, so if it throws you off, I'm sorry, I'm shifting gears. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. If you're suffering today, this is not what you wanna hear, right? Suffering ultimately produces hope. Like, nope, that does not produce hope. Because for most of us, suffering produces bitterness, it produces isolation, it produces loneliness, it produces pain, it produces anxiety. Suffering produces lots of things, but it does not produce hope. And the reason it produces hope in some and not everyone is it's based on what we do with our suffering. Because most of us hang on to our suffering. That's why it produces the wrong things in our lives. But what Paul tells the Romans that hey, suffering can produce hope. And here's the process. Suffering produces endurance. See, when we are suffering, when we're enduring something and going through something, it can produce endurance in our lives. 
And it doesn't just automatically produce endurance. But what happens is when we bring our suffering to Christ, when we bring our suffering to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. He's gonna help us stand under the weight of our suffering. And that endurance simply means that suffering next week that's the same as today doesn't hit us the same way. Crushing suffering today doesn't crush us next week. Does that make sense? We grow stronger in the Lord under the weight of our suffering. So it's easier for us to suffer. Doesn't that bless you? Like, hey, you're still gonna suffer. It's just gonna be easier for you to suffer. That's what endurance does. But that only happens in Christ. But, but endurance doesn't stop there. Endurance produces character because when we submit our suffering to Christ and we press in and we pursue in spite of what's going on around us, that suffering produces endurance and that endurance as we are pressing into Christ leads to character. Now, I believe it does produce character in us, but I believe primarily it helps us see the character of God because we see the character of God most clearly when we're suffering. When we're in pain, it makes it easier for us to see who God really is many times. And in our suffering, we see the character of God. We see, God, you're still good in spite of these circumstances in my life. God, I can still trust you. You are righteous. Remember what righteous is, that you always do what is right and you are faithful to keep your promise. So even in our suffering, we can say, God, you always do what is right, even when I'm suffering and you will always keep your promise. I know you will. That is your character. And as we anchor ourselves in that, it begins to build our character as well. And that's what produces hope. It's not that everything's gonna get better magically. It's that in spite of what we're dealing with, God is still good. That he can be trusted, he's righteous. Now think about it in the context. Abraham, we're talking about Abraham in chapter four, his suffering, his 25 years of waiting. And this is what Paul says, here is the formula for suffering well. Abraham suffered for 25 years, but yet in spite of that, he believed. What did he do? He anchored himself in God. Even when he wasn't sure, he still said, God, I believe you are good and this is gonna carry me through. And he saw his promise. God's gonna work. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know what the timing is, but don't you dare give up before you see it happen. Endure, trust God, believe, and trust him with the things you love. How does this happen? How does it happen? It feels impossible, doesn't it? it? Feels impossible. Let's go back to a verse we read earlier. Romans 4, 17. That is what scripture, scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. I've made you the father of many nations. I don't know if you notice this. This is past tense. He says, I have done it already, but it hadn't happened yet. I really believe what God was saying is, I've done this already, but you just haven't caught up with your blessing yet. There's, there's, it is waiting for you now that you're on the right path. You're gonna get there. I've already made you the father of many nations. You just haven't seen it. In fact, he never did. His, his son was born. He saw his grandsons, but he never saw the full fruition of the promise for his life. But God said, I've already, I've already done it. I've made you the father of many nations. And then it said this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. He believed. Will you believe? 
Will you take a chance? Will you take the, the risk of believing again? Believing for something that was dead and gone. A dream, a hope, a desire, a plan, maybe a calling that you walked away from. Maybe it's a marriage that you're still married, but it is dead. Maybe it's a relationship that, that you thought was over. It was broken beyond repair. Maybe it was a dream that God had, he'd put in your life and you'd given up on it because you thought, no, I can never do that. I've, I've gone off the wrong path, whatever it is. Would you dare to believe that God can raise dead things back to life and that he can create new things from nothing? That's the, that's the beginning. That's how Abraham endured. That's how he built character. That's how he, he found hope was because he believed. He just said, God, I believe in spite of what I see. I believe. Would you believe today? Would you trust God? Hey, I'm turning it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out the rest of our time. They'll give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So this weekend, covered a lot of ground. Really, this whole thing, it comes back to knowing Christ. Are, are you... Are you walking with Jesus? Are you in relationship with him? Or is this just something we do on the weekends? Do you really believe? I mean, Abraham believed, but he believed in a way that's different than the way we believe many times. Abraham be believed because it was based on what he knew, what he had experienced. I believe God because I know God. Does that make sense? And that kind of belief is different from us just going, well, yeah, I believe. The only way we can believe like Abraham is to know God like Abraham. So really what I'm challenging you to do is to pursue Christ, to pursue intimacy with God like never before. And as we do, that's where we'll really be able to believe. Believe that God can bring dead things back to life. When we see how good he is, when we recognize how righteous he is. We'll believe that he can create new things from nothing. And that's what I want for you. I want you to experience that. I want you to see that in your life. I think that's what God wants for you as well. It all begins with salvation. It all begins with intimacy with Christ, knowing him, surrendering our life to him. I wanna give you that chance today. In just a minute, we'll sing a song together. And while we're singing, our prayer team's gonna be here. And I wanna challenge you. Um, if you're suffering today, if you're going through some stuff and, and you wanna live out what we talked about, that the suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. If you want that for your life, it begins with believing that God is who he said he is, that he is righteous. And if you need some help believing for that, if you need somebody to pray for you, that's what our team is here to do. They're here to pray for you. So when we, when we turn it over and start singing here in just a minute, I want you to come find one of our team and let them pray with you. I do not want anybody to leave here heavy hearted today. I don't want anybody leaving here with the baggage they brought in here today. There is, there is a way out of that and we wanna pray with you about it. But if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, maybe you have, but maybe somewhere along the path you got off the route. Maybe you disconnected at some point and started doing your own thing. We wanna give you a chance. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. God, have your way with us for these next few moments. I pray that this would be a holy moment 
I pray that we would hear clearly from you and I pray that people in this place would be drawn to you and surrender their lives to you. Be glorified in these next few moments. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I know I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. I, I wanna believe, but I can't believe the way you describe because I don't know God. I'm not in a relationship with him, but I want to. I wanna know him. I wanna believe the way you described. But I know I can only have that by really knowing God. I wanna know God today. I wanna surrender my life to him. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. And if you'd say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer. Pray for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you on my left. Thank you, ma'am. Who else? Would say, Mel, include me in that prayer. That's me. Yeah, thank you so much, sir. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. I see you in the balcony. Praise God. The book of Romans tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer. We're gonna say it out loud. We're gonna say this prayer together. But I don't want you just to say it. I want you to mean it from your heart. I want you to, to believe it. I want you to entrust God in this moment to surrender the things you love to him and believe that he's gonna love it as much as you do. So let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, come on, let's, let's say it out loud like we mean it. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. I believe you. I trust you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause, can we? Hey, for those of you that responded today, or maybe you didn't respond, but but you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to know we're so proud of you, so we're so excited for you, and we wanna help you take the next step. Uh, this is the beginning of relationship. It's not the end of relationship. This isn't the end of something. It's the beginning of something. And so we wanna help you get to know God and begin to, to flourish in relationship with him. So the best thing for you to do would be to let us know about your decision today. Take a second and fill out the card in the seat back in front of you. Take it to the info center when we finish in a moment. Or you can simply text Summit PA to 94,000. Let us know about your decision there. And then um, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get in touch with you in the next couple days and help you get on the right track and get started in your faith and your relationship with God. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us one final song while we're singing. Our prayer team's here and they're available to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, he'll dismiss us, we'll be free to go. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we leave today. Guys, I tell you guys often, and I hope you mean, I hope you know that, that I mean it and that I'm sincere when I say it, but I do. I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.